It's the podcast. Welcome, everyone. We got a good one for you today. We've Brad Sham, voice of the Dallas Cowboys. I could do two hours of talking with Brad Sham and ask him a ton of questions. We don't have that much time today, but uh, we'll get into some great stuff about Houston versus Dallas, not just the teams, but the cities and all of that. Andre Ware, that question will be thrown his way as well. So I look forward to hearing his answer. I actually already know what it is because I did the interview already, but you're going to hear it in just a few moments. Also, you'll hear about Freddy's Frozen Custard with 12 locations, three new locations opening soon in Full Shear, Kingwood, and Porter. The new food truck custom designed to bring the steak, burgers, fries, and frozen custard you love to your event. Freddy's Original Double Steak Burger, a real game changer. Check it all out, Freddy's Frozen Custard. All right, let's get right to it. Brad Sham, voice of the Dallas Cowboys. The victory over Detroit, what did that do? Fan base, media, the team itself, it looked like a nice win to get that. The way you got it, you pulled one out of the fire. So uh, let me let me uh, take them in the order that you asked. Um, th- this would get me in huge trouble with probably Will anyway. I just really don't care what the fan base thinks. They know nothing. They They react viscerally from their couches. And they have no idea what goes into putting a team together, let alone winning or losing a game. So what the fan base thinks is irrelevant to me. The media doesn't know a whole lot more in about 80% of the cases. The problem is not just here. I think it's true everywhere. Uh, What the media says not only fuels the fan base, but it it um, will at some point get the attention of the owner of the business. And the owner of the business at some point is going to respond to his or her customers. Um, and uh, that's why I think it's really incumbent on us in our business to try to be responsible and know what we're saying or writing. For the team, I thought it was really important. They, they, um, know the difficulty. Every NFL player knows the difficulty of climbing out of a one-and-three hole. It's not impossible, but it's not recommended. And um, they, this team did not expect to be struggling at the quarter pole of the season. And so to be able to come back in uh, the face of a withering week of public criticism, and sadly that includes social media, which goes directly to the players. There's no filter for it. And uh, you have to, I think you have to work doubly hard if you're the team to keep all that out of the players' heads. So for them to be able to come back, be resilient, uh, do some of the things that they had not done well uh, in the uh, the two games that they lost, come back and win the game at the end. It's, it always amazes me, Mark, for such a physically violent game, how emotional this sport is. And um, winning is everything when you pay the price these players do to say nothing to the coaches and the support staff. So um, I think it was a big deal. And, you know, hey, look, uh, however it happened for the Texans, tell me I'm wrong, but, you know, however however it is that you won that game, that's a heck of a lot better than being 0-4. Well, absolutely, but some people evaluate it like figure skating. Like, you didn't do the triple axel well, so it shouldn't right. count, but it's a W, so that's all that matters. Tell me about Dak. Yeah, go ahead. That's that's exactly why I say that I don't care. After as long as I've been doing this, I've learned that people do not understand. There are no style points. The only thing I, I, I went to school at Missouri, okay? I have no dog in the fight. 
the only thing that, in my opinion, the only thing that rivals Cowboy fans is Texas fans. University of Texas fans will throw a win back if it wasn't up to their specifications. <laughs> a win's a win. It's hard to win a game. And in the NFL, it's really hard to win a game. And and the figure skating fans can say whatever they want. But a win's a win. Tell me about Dak Prescott and how he's progressing in year three. I think he's progressing acceptably for a third-year quarterback. The people up here love to say, Romo this and Romo that, and at this point in Tony's career, he hadn't been on the field yet. And uh, Prescott spoiled everybody by being otherworldly as a rookie. And actually, he was he was dovetailing nicely with that the first half of last year. Then they had some injuries in the line. They had some protection issues the rest of the way, which caused him to start making some bad decisions. And uh, that, that, that was last year, but that was the last thing anybody saw or remembered. So this is, Babel Offenberg and I were talking about this at the beginning of the game on Sunday before the game started. I said, I I hope, and I said this on the air, I hope this goes well, because if it doesn't, I think I know what these fans will do, and I've seen them boo Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman. I was there when it happened. So people don't want to think about the fact that he's a third-year quarterback if Deshaun's not playing well people don't want to think about where he is in his career and 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 I think both of them are uh and I've met Deshaun and I've had some interactions with him and did a program with him last year just before his injury and I mean I think these are two really exceptional young men Uh, I think they are two really grounded intelligent young men with great natural leadership traits and um the rest of it the rest of it comes into play it's the thing that separates quarterbacks, in my opinion, is the decision-making. And it just takes a little bit of time to make all the decisions that you want to make. And there are some guys in the Hall of Fame who made some bad decisions further into their career than Dak Prescott is. So I, I think he's I think he's growing acceptably. You know, I'm glad you brought up the evaluation of quarterbacks in general, Brad, because I look at a guy like Tony Romo, and when he retired, everyone thought, is he a pro football Hall of Famer? And I was thinking – well, you have to put him in the ring of honor first, and that's a hard thing to make. And he didn't even go to an NFC Championship game, but I know he did a whole lot of good stuff for the franchise. How is he remembered, and how do you think that stands now versus how he might be remembered eventually? You know, you just said about four really interesting things to me. First of all, just put him in the ring of honor before you put him in the Hall of Fame, but it would be a good idea if you think he's that player. I think the Hall of Fame voters are, are um, influenced by that. Um, you know, uh, it, it, about his second year, as a, maybe his first full year as a starter, uh, until, um, oh, maybe about 2009, uh, oh, Romo was the golden boy. And, you know, people forget everybody in the league, including this team, said, no, that's okay. We can get along without you. They didn't draft him for seven rounds. So to me, everything he did was on house money, and he was a really exciting player. Now, because the offense has come slowly out of the gate, believe me, the last couple of three years that he was playing, it was 50-50. As many people hated him and said he can't win a playoff game, and he won't do this, and he won't do that. And those were all the people who said he's, you know, he shouldn't be in the league because he wasn't drafted. There, that was as many people saying that 
as they were saying, this guy has got what it takes. And uh, now, of course, when they're struggling a little and last year didn't go well, not, and not the quarterback's fault, in my opinion, well, then Tony Romo's the greatest thing. So he's, he's got a little bit of Johnny Unitas and, and John Elway and Roger Staubach all rolled up into one. And, and that's so faulty. It's just flawed. So right now, people think that Romo's it, but they didn't think that when he was playing. And that's, that's a luxury that's afforded to fans. And um, for me, uh, I, I, I love the guy. I mean, I, I consider him a friend, and I certainly was more than privileged to broadcast every game he played. Um, I, I, don't see his, I don't see his accomplishments as equal to those of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And Jerry Jones has virtually said he's going to be in the ring of honor. And I think you can make that case. Certainly you can make it statistically. And he was exciting. And he, he literally came out of nowhere to kind of resurrect their franchise. And there are three quarterbacks in this team's ring of honor. One of them was the guy who put him on the map, Don Meredith. And the other two won multiple championships. To me, that's the standard. And I'm fine with Tony being in the ring of honor, but you better explain it to Danny White, who had the team in the NFC Championship game his first three years as a starter following Roger Staubach. So that that but that's one of those great, you know, you, you can't you can't be right or wrong. That, that's a great uh, bar stool or living room sofa or a talk show conversation, and then there, there really is no right or wrong. It's just opinion. Brad, I'm glad you brought up Danny White. Andre Ware and I are big Danny White fans, and Andre wore number 11 also, not because of Danny White, but he also felt that kind of kinship with him, and uh, I think it's a great point about the three NFC Championship games. Uh, Back to now, Demarcus Lawrence, how good is he? Man, is he really bursting out of the scene after last year's 14-and-a-half sacks and everything he's doing this year. What kind of player is he? I I think he's really good, Mark. I think he's really good, He and and the the thing – because, again, fans, and too often uh, we in the media, we only care about things that can be measured statistically. So before he burst out last year, uh, people did not see what he was doing in the run game unless you were, unless you were shooting the film or uh, grading it or watching it. That those guys know what a solid player he was before he had 14 and a half sacks and he's gotten better and better. He's taken a much different approach to a franchise tag year than a lot of players do. He's embraced it. He's come out roaring and he's growing up. He's, he is more of a leader in the defensive room than, than he has been before. And uh, he, he's a good player. He's a really good player. And you know, if he if he has another double digit sack year, not only will he, as they say, get paid. Some of us think he's getting paid now, but uh, you know, we'd be happy to trade for his salary. But uh, not only will he get paid, but he will be regarded as one of the premier pass rushers in the league, and he should be. And I also think that kind of ignores some of the things he does very very well. I think he's a really good player. Brad, what's the vibe on this game with the Dallas Cowboys? To the Houstonians, it's a big deal to play Dallas, no doubt. But I know to Dallas, you have the NFC East, you have all the other rivalries. 
and the Texans are a team you face once every four years. They are in-state, but how do you look at it? How do you think people look at it in general in the area? This is a question that I was just discussing with a couple of folks uh, here who run a, a podcast for the team, and um, and uh, as is sadly the case with almost everybody in the building, I'm older than them. So or maybe that's not sad, but I was trying to explain to them. Well, now, one of them was our sideline reporter, Christy Scales, and she, she's a Galveston native, so she understands the dynamic uh, completely. The um, transcending football, having nothing to do with it, but having everything to do with it. And, and I say this as objectively and lovingly as I can. I'm not talking about the Cowboys. I'm not about the city, the area. There's an arrogance to Dallas. It's new money. It's Tech Schramm, when he ran this franchise, was accused of being arrogant. And he said, you're damn right I am, and I intend to be. And and he wanted to have a team that he could be arrogant about and a franchise that he could be arrogant about. And they had a lot of winning when the Oilers weren't uh, getting the same kind of notice. And I think based on years of doing, I've done a lot of college sporting events and and professional sporting events besides NFL games in Houston. I I think that for whatever reason, I'm not saying I I do not, I don't endorse or claim this as my attitude. I do, I do say this is my opinion of the attitude Um, in Houston they don't like Dallas. They don't like anything about Dallas, and they especially don't like the Cowboys, and it's a big flipping deal if the WNBA team beats the Dallas WNBA team, <laughs> and if the Texans beat the Cowboys, that's a big deal. And in Dallas, yeah, whatever. Who are we playing? Cincinnati? Oh, Houston? Okay. That's I mean, just how they are. Not the club, not the team, the, the people. Mm-hmm. That's a, to me a sociological fact of life in our state, and um, I don't I don't endorse it. I can't explain it. I just think that's how it is. Brad, one more for you from your point of view, from where we sit right now. What do you think of this game? What's your take on what might go down, or your general feeling about Sunday night, the Cowboys and the Texans? Well, I, I think it's a game of two teams that really have. Um, uh, some close to equal desperation. Uh, both of them have some really good positive aspects, and both of them have some serious flaws. And uh, my uh, broadcast partner, Babe Loffenberg, uh, tweeted out, I just saw it a couple of hours ago, the statistical difference. I just hate that, but it exists. The statistical difference between being uh, of making the playoffs, chances of making the playoffs if you're three and two compared to two and three. And it's like a 30% greater chance if you're three and two. Hmm. It doesn't have anything to do with this year's Dallas team, but it is historical statistical fact. Psychologically, I think it's a big deal. And for this team, especially if they can finally put two wins together and win a game uh, away from home, that would be another psychological step. I, I, Without knowing hardly any of them, I feel somewhat comfortable in saying the Texans did not think they were going to start the year one and three. They think they're better than that. They think they've got playoff talent in many places on the field, and it could be it could feel like whether it is or not, Mark. I think it could feel like a season turning game for the Texans if they can win. And because of that, 
And because things are so even in this league now, I think it'll be a really entertaining game to watch. I agree. Brad, thanks so much for the time. As always, we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you and Andre Sunday night. There's Brad Sham, voice of the Dallas Cowboys. Hey, the Texans spend countless hours prepping for game day, and that's why they rely on Bose Quiet Comfort 35 headphones, too, to block out distractions and focus on what matters most. The powerful noise canceling technology helps you do the same. Concentrate on your music, your work, or whatever you're passionate about with QC35 wireless headphones, too. Learn more at Bose.com slash Texans. Bose, the exclusive sound of the Houston Texans. Here's a conversation with my broadcast partner, Andre Ware. Andre, it's the Dallas Cowboys, and as a lifelong Houston resident, what does it mean to you when the local professional football franchise faces the Cowboys? What's that like for you personally? Well, I've never been a Cowboy fan. Even growing up, there were, you know, Cowboy fans all around me. Some of my best friends to this day are, are Cowboy fans. And I was never really um, in that in that uh, that group, so to speak. But uh, it'll be good to see them come in. To me, it's just a, uh, you know, I'm certainly on the side of the Texans in this one. I think it's an opportunity to see two really good football teams uh you know, do battle on Sunday night. All right, before we get into the current matchup, though, a little reminiscing because this is only the third visit for the Cowboys to NRG Stadium. Yeah. And a lot of talk about the first visit, which was September 8, 2002. And what's your recollection when you think about the game and the buildup, that inaugural game in Texans history? Oh, God, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was just, you know, a lot of emotion. A lot You could sense it around the stadium. Uh, first first game in franchise history, you know, never really knowing what to expect. And then, you know, with it being the Cowboys, it couldn't be a more, uh, you know, a right setting, so to speak. But um, when you, when you, when I think back to that one, there were some plays made, Billy Miller, obviously with the biggest play in that ball game, but, but David Carr playing some, uh, some outstanding football and, and then figuring out a way that it was a young team that was just assembled and found a way to win, you know, the over the first game in franchise history. And that's something that, uh, that will never be taken away from that group. All right. So this group here just came off a win against the Colts and the Cowboys had a maybe somewhat similar kind of thing where they needed a late field goal to beat Detroit and they got it. So what do you think of Dallas coming in? What's your overall feeling on the Dallas Cowboys as we enter week five? Well, it's you know that they're they're somewhat healthy in a sense where uh, yeah they're giving up a couple of sacks or so, but Dak is kind of finding his way without a big time number one or two uh, receiver. I would even add that in uh, in this offense. So he's kind of finding his way and holding the ball a little long, and they've given up some sacks. But it seems as though they're playing uh, some better football uh, up front. They they are healthy on the offensive line, so there won't be any easy ones you're gonna to have to earn sacks in this game or or quarterback knockdowns for that matter and oh by the way as you try to get those you got to worry about a guy that's wearing number 21 and and uh, ezekiel elliott that can certainly rip it up as well so it uh this will be a test because they want to establish the run run play action from that and then once you think you you might might have a beat on those two things that can pull it down and run for first downs and, and make plays in his own right. So 
It's a it, when you look at it from a defensive standpoint, this is this will be one of their tougher games I think this season, but just because of the way the Cowboys like to operate. What do you think about being home but having a lot of Cowboy fans in the building? It's not going to be like the Steelers game last year, but it'll be significant, and it won't be like when the Texans visited Dallas four years ago. But you will have a lot of of Cowboy fans, and and how will Watson and the offense deal with that at home? Oh, I might I might disagree with you a little bit on that one in terms of it. The Steelers travel well, but this is right up the street, and they're everywhere. You know, you can't find them when the Cowboys are losing, but they are everywhere <laughs> at the beginning of a season. So right down 45, and I'm not just talking about those that live in Dallas coming down for the game. There are, you know, sprinkles and uh, big sprinkles of them right here in the city of Houston. And so those tickets will be gobbled up. Uh, they will be well represented uh, in, in this one. So, yeah, it's, 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 this can be a wild atmosphere, as wild as it's, it's ever been, because both teams uh, really need to win to, uh, to kind of stay afloat and stay uh, in pace with what's going on in their respective divisions. So uh, this, this will be a hard-fought, wild football game, and the fans will be a big, big part of it. And if you're Watson in the offense, you got to deal with some crowd noise in your own building perhaps, right? You do because, uh, you know, I never figure out how they get in. The other teams, I'm talking other teams' fans, <laughs> but they are in there. And, yeah, he will definitely have to, to, uh, to deal with some crowd noise from Cowboys fans as well as some pretty b- good b- bookend defensive ends and Charlton and DeMarcus Lawrence on the other side. They, they, uh, they can bring some heat and, and disrupt some things. So I think they've got like 14 sacks on the season as a team. So this this will be this will be a tough ball game. Yeah, no question about it. What about Watson now? It's week five. We see improvement every week. He handled himself very well last week, getting the late field goal for the win. How about his development, Andre? What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean from a personal standpoint for him, it was one of his better games. I mean, I, I was saying that he needed to up his completion percentage. Uh, for the season, he was able to do that last week. I think he completed like 69% of his passes, which is insane for having – basically, you're in a shootout. <clears throat> and so, you you know, you're dealing the ball around, and there are going to be some drops. There are going to be some misses, some throwaways in which, you know, you're trying to preserve some, some time on the clock. But to still walk away from it at 69% was unbelievable to cut touchdown. A couple of touchdown passes. He added a touchdown run. He did everything within his power to keep this offense and this team in the ballgame. And then ultimately, when when there was an opportunity to go win it, uh, he proved again that uh, he's solid in that department as well. But kudos to everybody involved on that side of the ball because uh, they had to – they changed tackles. Kendall Lamb started that game at at, uh, right tackle instead of Julian Davenport. Will Fuller goes down, Kiki QT steps up and sets a franchise record. I mean, it was just one player after another. Talk about next man up. Uh, They've been able to do it. So uh, uh, my hat goes off to that entire group because I thought maybe it was, uh, with exception of being able to run with consistency, I, I think it was the best offensive look that we've seen in quite some time. 
QT and Coach O'Brien both said after the game that there were plays left on the field for him, yet he had 11 catches. What do you think about what he's adding to this offense and what the ceiling might be? Well, you know, now there's film on him, so so defensive coordinators will start the game plan uh, with him in mind. I think he was new. Uh, nobody had seen him. They didn't know what to expect, didn't really think that Coach O'Brien would feature him or use him as much in the game plan. Uh, as he did. And so once uh, that game was over, the clock hit zeros, you can best believe that everybody around the league knew exactly who number 16 was, and, and he's going to have their attention going forward along with, with DeAndre as well as Will Fuller. So it, it really gives you a bunch of weapons. Uh, the tight ends are starting to come around as well. Jordan Aikens had a couple of catches. Thomas has had his moments through the season, and Ryan Griffin has made some tough catches. So there are plenty of weapons that are starting to, to really develop along with Deshaun Watson. And they, this, that could make it make this offense, so to speak, very, very interesting. You know, it's interesting because last year you have Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson all going relatively early in the draft, or very early, really. Yeah. And you're looking at a potential class of 04 kind of thing because that class had Roethlisberger and Rivers and Manning, and Rivers didn't even play the first year. And I know it's very early here, but it's going to be fun to watch these guys develop because they all look pretty good early. Yeah, and Mahomes has been insane. I mean, he has yet to throw an interception, and it doesn't look like he's going to throw one anytime soon, uh, maybe on a tip ball. And, and I'm like, that's kind of the equivalent of having the perfect round in golf where you just maybe not birdie every hole, but you're putting it birdie and you're making the majority of them and you set mm-hmm. an all-time low for yourself. Well, that's what he's doing. That, that, that's my equivalent when you go through an entire NFL season or football season period on any level and you don't throw an interception. And so uh, he, is, he is dealing it. Man, he's got some kind of arm talent. I haven't seen anything like it in a very, very long time where the mobility is there. Uh, the arm strength is there. He can throw from different angles, both stationary and on the move. The smarts are there in terms of knowing where to go with the football, getting off uh, the first the first progression and getting through the entire progression of an progression of an offensive play. It, it's fun to watch, and so it's a it's a dynamic class. When you talk about the three of them, Trubisky last week, insane, five touchdowns in the first half, and then what Deshaun's doing. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely will rival uh, the 04 class. All right, what do you have going on in college? Uh, going down to UCF, the nation's uh, <clears throat> longest win streak in terms of seeing UCF, and they'll face wow. SMU and getting ready to really dig into uh, to SMU. And here in a little bit, I've kind of gotten through UCF and uh, ready to go the other way. But this will be a good matchup. Mustangs are coming off a big win this past week. Well, they put up 63 points. They made a switch at quarterback where they feel that, you know, they look as though they're playing with a lot of confidence and, and uh, feel as so. So it'll be a big chore defensively whether or not they can stop that, actually get a handle on McKenzie Milton, who uh, can just flat out throw it. He's not a big guy. He's just about 5'11", but he is, uh, he is so dynamic with the football. We just talked about quarterbacks well. He's kind of that on the collegiate level this year, or has been the last couple of years. Cool. Drape, safe travels. Let's get ready for Sunday night. Looking forward to it, my friend. Me as well, my man. Can't wait for Sunday night. There's my buddy Andre Ware. Now, one more note here from my pregame talk with Bill O'Brien, which we began by discussing 
a couple of different things here. Sunday night football, primetime home game, and also the fact that it's going to be a crazy bowl-like atmosphere. We'll start out with that primetime question. Yeah, it definitely uh, affects it. You, you know, you have more meeting time, especially on uh, Saturday and Sunday. You know, you're able to to really, uh, you know, have walkthroughs, meet with the players and make sure that – and also, you know, give them plenty of time to get off their feet. But, uh, you know, having a night game gives you gives you ample opportunity to be prepared. It's going to be a crazy bowl-like atmosphere almost at NRG Stadium because there will be a contingent of Dallas fans there. Do you prepare for that sort of thing, the noise, possibilities, and all of that? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, you know, we, as you know, we play music and practice all the time. So, uh, you know, I'm imagining it to be a predominant Houston crowd. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, you know, look, it's it, on, on either side of it, it could be a raucous crowd. So, or it will be a raucous crowd. So, you know, we're prepared for noise. We've been, you know, we've been playing on the road for majority of our season so far so uh we practice that way all the time all right that's a little taste of the pregame talk with bill o'brien prior to the texans dallas game hey have a great day everybody check out all the other podcasts here on houstontexans.com or wherever fine podcasts are available go texans